Welcome to the Hamumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown, the podcast where we watch scary movies so you don't have to. From award-winning to completely unknown, we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Solange Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously as we take these movies seriously. For what I believe is the first time in HHHH history, I saw a movie listed on a channel, Tubi to be exact, it was featured at the very top of Tubi, that I saw and immediately said, we have to see that now. Yes. But it was for good reason. (laughs) Was it? I mean, it fits in with your current obsession. Uh, whose current obsession? I feel like it's yours. I think it's a shared obsession. Oh, okay. Folks, for the past several months, we have binged extensively Married at First Sight. And I like bad reality shows. Yes. But I, I like I have zero interest in like The Bachelor or anything like that. Like those are not appealing. But this show, I have jumped up out of my seat and yelled at the TV. <laughs> it's so drama. It is so drama. It also makes us feel very good about our marriage. Yeah, I think it really has brought us together and feeling good about each other. Like, wow, wow. we don't do that. <laughs> Look at what we've learned to avoid. (laughs) Yes, so today's movie is called The Final Rose. From 2022. And it's basically if The Bachelor and a slasher movie had a baby. Yeah, that was exciting. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, we're going to watch this and we're going to be like, oh, she shouldn't be with that guy. And we were going to have fun drama times. But it's not that at all. It's just a slasher movie that's on the set of The Bachelor. Yeah. I did go through, because I was like, oh, you know, it's a slasher movie. You have to figure out who's doing the slashing. Like, it's secret. Anytime anyone wanders off on their own, they end (laughs) up dead, right? Yeah. And we see them end up dead, but we don't see who made them that way. Of course. So I have a series of arrows with little S's, S for suspect, Uh all through my notes. I see one, two, three, four, five, five little S's. Not a one of them was the right person. (laughs) I only had one S equivalent. I wrote in the corner of my paper, in all caps, about three quarters of the way through the movie, Lance. Uh And I was sure, because he disappeared for half the movie and it wasn't really explained why. Yeah, he he just kind of disappeared. He was odd. Mm-hmm. He definitely there was some like potential motive because he was old and yeah, like the like clinging to his fame sort of situation. <laughs> Actually, he was not one of the people I marked as oh. a suspect. Well, it's when he disappeared for a long time. I'm like, why haven't we seen Lance? And it sounded like maybe he had been trapped somewhere. When he appeared, like he said something about how you guys forgot about me. I'm like, yeah, we did. We have not heard from you in a long time. Okay, so I have a note toward the end that says Lance is alive. Oh, because we thought he died shortly before that. Yeah, yeah, he got stabbed. Okay, okay. 
Yeah, I don't know where he went or why we didn't see him much. He was the one that told Jess that she shouldn't be poking around where the girls who had already been voted off were being kept. Mm -hmm. He was there. But then we didn't see him after that. No, he just disappeared. It's like they left him in that building and trapped (laughs) him there. So I suspected in this order, Maya, the wannabe director, current PA. Oh, yeah. Dalton... The bachelor whose mommy got him a gig because of something that had happened in his background. Yeah, he was creepy, and they even hinted many times at bad things he had done in the past. Well, and eventually told us what the bad thing was. Then Nikki, because she was mean. (laughs) Yeah, if somebody's mean, they probably also kill people. I mean, she was just like, was so mean. Like, she was (laughs) setting Jess up for like straight up heartbreak. She was just mean. Yeah. Then Madison, who was there to avenge her roommate, who yes. was the reason Dalton that was, was sent- quite a plot twist. It really was. But like I was like, oh, okay, so she's the one who has like the most motive. I don't know why she's killing everybody else, but yeah. you know, they were getting in her way when she was trying to kill Dalton. I don't know. And then Bill, who was the guy who like created the show mm-hmm. and was Yeah, he was creepy. Yeah, my note for Bill is Bill is nuts. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was when they were doing the toast. Yeah, he brought out a champagne toast and was like, hey, everybody, drink up. Oh, we're, the good stuff's in the back. I'm going to go there. Yeah, and he was like, it was clear, like at that point, they were trying to get everyone off the island. It was clear there was somebody murdering people. Mm-hmm. Dalton had ended up dead. Like, it was a big deal. And he's like, let's have a champagne toast before we all go on our way. And I thought... Here we have a Jonestown situation about to happen. And everyone was just like, cheers, bottoms up. And they all died of poisoning and he avoided it. And yet he wasn't the murderer. Someone had spiked those champagnes separately. Yeah. So like all of those people, because I was very clearly letting myself be led around by the plot of the story. Because it was so brilliantly conceived. Mm, Was it? Artfully crafted, I should say. Artisanal. I feel like it was perhaps slightly less than that, but I do too. I was making a joke. <laughs> okay, so what's your like highs and lows of this movie? Like, oh, I have a, the absolute highest point of this entire movie. Early on, we're getting into the Bachelor thing, the Bachelor show getting put together. Yep. And at this point, it's like, it's really over the top. It's like a total parody of The Bachelor, and everything's ridiculous. And the guy who is The Bachelor, the beau in this show, he reveals that he runs charity, I guess, called Kids and Crypto, which teaches kids to mine their own crypto. Yeah. I literally cackled yes. at that joke. That, that was, was awesome. And so funny. Because they had like a produced little ad for the thing where the kids are typing on the computers and stuff. Yeah. That kids was and funny. And it's at that point where I'm like, this is going to be a parody of these shows. And that's really funny. And it's going to be funny. And it didn't really do that. I mean, it kind of was, but it was more like the behind the scenes of it. It was truly dedicated to revealing just how manufactured reality shows are. Yeah, that was a major point of the whole thing. Like the the bow was not a nice guy at all. He was Mm -mm. he was like he was an actor just doing this as a role and he was terrible to the host, which was weird because it seemed like the guy who's a host should be 
you know, the diva kind of guy. But no, it was the guy who comes in to be The Bachelor. Yeah. And then the producers were, like Nikki, like I said earlier, and Bill were horrific people in that their entire motivation for everything that happened was ratings and views and et cetera, et cetera. And what was interesting is the entire cast, you know, all the girls who were there to marry the beau, every one of them, except our main character, Jess, was 100% in on this idea. They were effectively actors who knew this was a role, who were trying to get the most screen time, make the most money. And it was like, I know reality shows are fake, but how is it that they all totally get it except for her, who thinks this is super real? Okay, I have to say I think it's funny that you're asking that question because you are currently watching like the the 978th season of the Road Rules Real World Challenge. I mention that I do enjoy terrible reality, although that's a really bad show. But my point there is that those people, like all of those MTV mm-hmm. people, that's their career. I know. It's just doing those reality shows and maybe <laughs> branching off into new reality shows every once in a while. If, if they get a chance. Right. But like that's that's all they do. So they they're just cast members. They're not there's nothing yes. real about them. But this is kind of a different thing. It's like, you know, there's a new group of girls. Every time on a show like this, it's not the same ones. They they probably come from other reality shows, but you know, they it was weird that everybody was like they were acting like this was normal. They're eating at craft services and they're like, Yeah, we're doing our job. Mm-hmm. And Jess is completely wide-eyed and like, what's happening here? And there was no other Jess there for her to commiserate with. There was just only actors and a f- real person, which reminds me of the Joe Schmo show. Highly recommended reality TV. (laughs) It is that premise. Everyone on it is an actor pretending to be a reality star. And there's one guy who's not. Who has no idea. And it's just the whole show is built around torturing him. And it's really entertaining. Do you think, though, at this point in our cultural development, that there is anybody left who goes on a reality show thinking it's actually a reality show? I don't know. I mean, when I see Married at First Sight, which I do several times a day at this point, (laughs) I feel like those people are mostly, almost all of them are like in it for real. Here's the thing. We're watching the first season right now where I believe that that is true. Yeah. But we started at like season five or something and then watched through Married at First Sight has been going on for more than a decade, which is mind boggling. It is. But... I definitely saw toward the end that the people, A, they seemed more like they were there so that they could get their big break. Like, you know, they would, the special gift they would give to their spouse on their anniversary was this song I wrote and can perform for you. And look, now it's on the air for I don't know who to see. I mean, and there was drama over my new wife is totally into Instagram and taking pictures of her food. Wonder why that is. Right. Like, I think... First of all, the people are showing up thinking that this could be the way to break into whatever industry yeah. they really want to be in. It is definitely gone And there. second of all, even the people who weren't necessarily there for that reason, they were suspicious that everyone else was there for that reason. Yes. And like it's the true. guys would, one of the things they would tell the producers is, I don't want an Insta girl. And I'm like, yeah, it, that was a moment where I felt old because I'm like, I wouldn't have known 
to say that because I don't know what an Insta girl is. But so I don't know that, like, I sort of think this movie was more true to reality than any reality show we've seen. Well, yeah, there was definitely a feeling of revealing the behind the scenes, which was disappointing and upsetting. But it also was just over the top. Like, main, mainly my issue, as I have a note here, underlined, Jess is overwhelmingly nice. Like, in yes. the Mary Sue's of Mary Sue's, she was ridiculous. Yes. She's like a Disney princess with little birds landing on her throughout the whole movie. Honestly, if we were just watching this show, she would be the one where I'm like, She's an actress <laughs> yeah. because no one acts that way in real life. Yeah. She yeah. just constantly put everyone ahead of her and was like, oh, let me just get that for you when yeah. everyone else was fighting and everything. Yeah. Also, one of my notes about how over the top this show was is that Garrett Dalton. The bow. Yes. His death resulted in me making the note, Garrett is a hot tub volcano. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It suddenly... It got gory. Yeah. <laughs> Which that was kind of funny. The The style of the whole movie, to me, felt like a rom-com. Not in the sense that it was romantic or funny, but in that the, the writing style of a rom-com, where everything is really heightened and very fake mm -hmm. and just made up for the movie. Like, mm -hmm. that's how everything felt. So, like, the crypto joke was really funny, and I thought they were going for this real parody thing, but it was just an example of the, we're so over the top that that's how we're making this guy look evil and weird. Yeah. Like, it's a very strange style of movie. It's almost a thought I had was that it's like a Sharknado movie, except it's not about, you know, monsters or anything, so they didn't have to have, you know, cheesy-looking special effects. So you have the same level of actors and the same level of writing, but it all kind of looks okay because all they're trying to portray is people talking to each other in normal situations. Mm -hmm. So it's almost subtle how it's bad because you don't notice as much when it's not Sharknado. But the writing was so weird and unhuman. Mm -hmm. It's a mm -hmm. very strange movie, and I couldn't quite get a vibe on how quality it was because of that. Yeah, I think I think it was not high on the quality no, scale. No, it wasn't. But it, but it almost looked like an okay movie because yeah. of, it was kind of like a Princess Switch on Netflix. You know, one of those Netflix Christmas movies that cost $20 to make. It was similar to that. Yeah. It did, however, have... It, it matched with our shark movies in that at the end, there was like an epilogue that made me go, huh? What? Where the two like FBI agents who clearly are not FBI, like the the nerdiest, loserest FBI agents you've ever met, <laughs> show up at the house where the whole thing was filmed and they're like, oh yeah, this has all been cleaned up really well. Our guys do a good job. And then they stare out the window. Yeah, but I don't think they were FBI. I think they worked for like the production company or something. And they're like... Now that we've cleaned up this murder, we can go on filming here. Like, it was the production company being evil and not caring about human life. It's possible that that is true. But in that case, they dressed like they wished they were FBI Very agents. Very much. They looked like FBI agents. Yeah, it was sort of like a men in black moment. Like, like 
what is happening? Like, it was like yes. Trump appearing out of nowhere at it the was. end of Ouija Shark. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it also kind of took this, it, just like in Ouija Shark, it made like this isolated, murdery thing kind of feel like a conspiracy and part yeah. of a larger event. For absolutely no reason. There was yeah. zero need for it. <laughs> But they hacked, tacked it on the end there, like they needed an extra, you know, five minutes on the movie. One thing I found interesting throughout this movie is, so people are getting murdered on set, and no one knows, because it's always like people who get voted off, and then they're murdered, and people are like, I, I guess she left the island, she snuck away. Mm-hmm. And nobody understands that she's actually dead, which is fine. But Jess is super concerned about this. Like every time one of these things happens, she's on it. She knows they were murdered. Well, not specifically that they were murdered, but she knows something is up and she keeps piecing things together without evidence. Mm -hmm. Like it's almost the opposite of other movies. She's unrealistically concerned and aware of what's going on, even though she doesn't have the information she needs to actually know that. Mm -hmm. It was really weird. Although she did have one piece of evidence. Uh, the very first girl that died was the diva who like arrived wearing a tiara. Of course. And after she was attacked, there was a piece of tiara that Jess found on the beach, mm-hmm. which then we don't see again until like the final fight scene where Jess has changed her clothes multiple times. Yeah. Is now wearing a very tight, very sparkly, like sleeveless dress. Mm-hmm. Like she's tied up and she pulled somehow has the piece of tiara in her hand yep, that she uses there. to cut the rope. She was holding it in her hand for three days. Apparently, and the <laughs> killer didn't notice that she had it in her hand when he tied her up. <laughs> yeah, when he was tying her hands. He's like, Boy, she's making a real tight fist with that hand. I, it was it was it, just random. Yeah. And that's a great example though. Like she goes to the beach to cry about how terrible everything is and she sits down and she finds this broken piece of tiara and instead of thinking, "Oh, this is the last place I saw this girl. Here's her tiara. Wonder why it broke." She thinks, "Oh, she was definitely murdered." <laughs> like, what are you what are you doing? There's an interesting bit. So Jess is Filipino-American. And that was kind of cool that our hero is not a white person. And is clearly identified as Filipino-American. Yes. But that plays into the story not at all. Like It's not like we picked this because this plot point hinges on this. It was just sometimes normal human beings (laughs) happen to be Filipino-American. Yeah. And that was all good. But then there's a conversation, I think, with Nikki, where she's trying to convince Jess to not leave the show because she's constantly trying to leave. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, representation matters. It's really important for you to be on this show, you know, so little girls can see, you know, non-white people doing these things and whatever. And that, I thought... That non-white people <laughs> deserve love, too. Yeah, it was like... Are you talking about the fake show or your actual movie? It was like, it was interesting. It was interesting. I, I think like in the movie, it was done really well. Yeah. And then to address it that way in the show within the movie, I don't know, like was kind of funny, <laughs> ironic, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. It, 
It was supposed to be. Does that make it subverting the trope somehow? No, I don't (laughs) think so because it was pointing out that the way the show was doing it was terrible. But yeah, I don't think that takes away from the fact that in the movie they just like had diversity in the cast. I think. And there was one other weird thing I found in this movie, which is so they'd be filming a scene of their show, like you know giving somebody the rose and like choosing which one it's going to be dramatic moment in the show, which if we were watching it on TV would have this dramatic music over it. Right. Yes. But in the movie, there's silence. There's just <laughs> no music at all, which I get it. You know, they're filming a movie. Mm-hmm. They can't have the music actually playing, but it's very disconcerting. And I think it was the wrong choice. <laughs> like, I realize it would be wrong to play that kind of music over it, but also it sounds very wrong to have this dead silent scene. Like, I don't know. It added to the stiltedness of it. Yes. Because, you know, we don't necessarily realize how much of our emotions are being manipulated by, you know, like filters and sparkles and <laughs> yeah. swelling music and all of that. But... I don't know. I think it added to the horror aspect of it in a way. Well, and then, you know, like they do that. And then later in the latter half of the scene, you know, things get a little scary or something. And the scary music starts to come in, but it's silent up until then instead of romantic music. It's, it's strange. I don't know what I mean by that, but it's strange. I mean, no, I, I get what you're saying. I do. I think you're right. It was strange, but also like the fact that it was disconcerting to you like adds to the atmosphere they were trying to create in the yeah. first place. But of course the insane over the top monologue from the murderer <laughs> kind of detracts from the atmosphere. It does. Well, we haven't talked about the murderer yet. Yes. Much like in the movie, we have not really mentioned the guy who was running around killing everybody. So it yeah. will come as a complete shock yeah, you guys couldn't possibly know because we haven't said who it is. No. Dun, dun, dun. It was Patrick. It was Patrick, everybody. Did you suspect Patrick? <laughs> yeah, I actually don't even remember what his motive was. He was just, it was just random. Well, I think he had essentially the same motive that Maya had. Oh, Because yeah. he was another one of the, like, assistant producers or whatever. And so he just, you know, he wanted... To keep a job and to move up the ranks and... Yeah, they just, they kept promising that you would, you know, eventually move up, but he never got to and he was mad. Yes. So he put a disco ball over his face and killed people. Yes. I did like the mask and how as the fighting went on, like the mask, like bits of it got pulled (laughs) away. And so he had sort of a, a very sparkly phantom of the opera kind of vibe going on. (laughs) Yes. Now, there was one other suspect, which I'm sure there's a reason you didn't put a mark on him, and I certainly never thought he was a suspect. The groundskeeper guy, who we see like four times in the movie, (laughs) just standing in the background, angrily staring, chopping wood with a machete. (laughs) He should have, he would have been the, the character who, in any actual horror movie, would have been played by... Robert England. Yes. Yeah. 
that would have been his cameo. But, <laughs> and because of that, I'm like, well, clearly it's not him. Yeah, there's no way this guy who's just looking scared. And she was so afraid of him. She'd walk by and he's just like, Ugh. I mean, he was kind of creepy. Yeah. But I didn't think he was the guy murdering everybody. No, you would be pretty dumb to think so. Sorry if you watched it and thought he was. <laughs> I mean, I felt pretty dumb thinking any of the people that I thought were the suspects were the suspects because it was so obvious that they were like, the story was just like, oh, no, oh. look at what's happening. Oh, Maya's too nice to her. Yeah. And that's the thing is it was such a cheesy movie that any of those answers could have been right and it would have been whatever. But of course... In true Scream style, absolutely, the answer was just some random guy who we barely knew. Yes. Which, of course, is like my most frustrating thing about any kind of mystery story. Mm-hmm. I absolutely hate when there are no clues that can actually point you in the right direction. It's all misdirect. And then, ha I can't <laughs> believe you didn't know. Maybe you just didn't figure it out and you're not smart enough. Possible. So how do you rate this movie? Well, I had high hopes for this particular combination of things. I did too. And it was funny. There were definitely, like, it was it was one of those movies where you laugh at how stupid things are, you yell at the screen because the characters are doing dumb things, or because the story took a direction where you're like, that's ridiculous, mm-hmm. or they turn... The, one of the main characters into a hot tub volcano. Like, <laughs> it was a movie designed for you to watch with a group of friends where you're all reacting out loud and like throwing yeah. popcorn at the screen, which I can appreciate. But even within that genre, that subgenre, it wasn't the best of those that I've ever come across. Yeah, for sure. It would make an entertaining Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode yeah but not the best episode so i think i am going to give this movie two and a half spa dates out of five and even that might be a little higher than i really like i'm tempted to give it a two but i don't i don't know that i could justify that Hmm. i'm not sure that i would even suggest people watch this like i i you'd have to be in just the right mood I can agree with that. And it wasn't scary at all. Oh, no. No. It was silly. I was really disappointed with this movie. I had some serious expectations from the little blurb on Tubi, you know, that it was Mm going to be a Bachelor show where murders are happening. Like, Mm -hmm. there was so much potential. And it's I've never seen that done, and I think it would be very fun, and it was not this time. Mm-hmm. Then when we got, you know, a little ways into that, the crypto joke and the stuff surrounding it, like the way the producers were acting at that time and stuff, I'm like, oh, so it's not what I was expecting, but it's going to be a really ridiculous parody. That's fun. But that also petered out, and yeah. it was just kind of blah, whatever. In the end, I think it's a much worse movie than it actually appears to be, in a way. It's hard to tell how bad the writing is in the moment. And then you kind of realize, this is terrible. (laughs) And it's just, it's not a good movie. You know what? I agree with you so much that I am going to change my score to a two. Yeah. I helped you justify it. Yeah. So what's your score for it? 
Well, you'd be surprised to learn that my score is two spa dates out of five. You just wanted to be just like me. I always want to be just like you. Of course. Okay, so two a two seems fair. Disappointing. Yeah. Fight the horror of a world gone mad. So this is the first review that is going up post-election. Gulp. But it's being recorded two weeks prior to the election. So it's like we still have hope. I I still have hope, even though as I'm listening to this, I will know whether I should have hope or not, which is a little weird. Yeah. But since we just passed election, I'm not going to remind everybody to go vote, because hopefully you already did that. You better have. I think my hot political tip, or the political connection that I see in this movie, is that much like if we're going to participate in reality TV as consumers, we have to keep in the back of our minds at all time that it is not reality. It is not. Reality TV is only very loosely peripherally related to reality. One of the things I have learned in participating on a campaign this election cycle is that what we see as politics, like when we watch the news and we see ads and, you know, all of that stuff, the stuff that is fed to us is only loosely peripherally related to what's actually going on behind the scenes politically. Yeah, because you've been behind the scenes for a year now. I have. And I have to say, like, much like when Dorothy meets the Wizard of Oz, it is disappointing to peek behind <laughs> that curtain yeah. on on a lot of levels. And it kind of means that going forward for me, remaining in the political sphere and continuing to work politically, I will definitely still continue to, you know, find the candidates that I believe in, that I stand behind, much like I stood behind um Jonathan this cycle. I will continue to do that, but it also makes me realize how important it is when campaigns aren't actually running to be really pushing for my political party to be doing a better job of everything else, like finding candidates and bringing yes, people we together. Don't have enough candidates and educating people on the issues and and all of those things that go into having a population that is prepared to take on the responsibility of being voters. That's the thing that people do is they show up around voting time and start paying attention, and they're mm-hmm. like. There's no good candidates. This this is terrible. Why why are you guys standing for these stupid things right. when they should be participating all along to bend the party in the direction they like in the first place? Right. And then not be so disillusioned because they've got choices they like. Right. And that's hard because a lot of the people who don't have time to focus on politics between elections, yeah. it's because they're focusing on other very important things like surviving, surviving or advocating for people who are barely surviving and you know like it's important and I don't want to I don't want to detract from that. Like I I am aware of the place of privilege where I stand that I don't have to focus on survival for myself and I can focus on politics in between but I also think like you just said 
People who care about women's rights or children's rights or education or LGBTQ rights, like all of those things, you have to continue to pay attention to what's happening in uh, in those areas in politics in between. And the advocates for those issues are doing that. It's the everyday voters who care about those issues who I think drift away. And, mm-hmm. you know, the advocates are like, don't, don't leave. <laughs> like, we still need you. Yeah. And I guess that's my point is that we have to continue to stick with those people who are putting that work in because they can't shift legislation alone. They can't be the, if you're one person walking into your senator's office saying, I think you should vote this way, the senator doesn't care. You need to be one person going in saying, myself and all of these other people who are with me care and think you should vote this way. And that's how we impact change. So I don't know, like right now being what the day after the election it's okay to take a breather. It's definitely okay. <laughs> Watch a scary movie. I personally will take probably a month like completely away and just relaxing because it's been a really long 18 months of pushing hard. Mm-hmm. But then you have to come back. You can't wait until the next election campaign definitely. ads show up on your TV screen because by then it's way too late. Yeah. So that's that. Cool. That means... We can go back to watching Married at First Sight? No. (laughs) We have to watch another scary movie for next week. Yay! See you then, everybody. We'll be back next week, and between now and then, take a little breather. Don't call anybody. Nah, just rest. Bye. What was the show with the can of beans in it?